God, we're family. <laughs> You're fitting us together, God. We don't get it, we don't understand it, but you're doing it. Every tribe, kindred, and tongue <laughs> unified in you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. God, I pray that you would release healing in here for physical ailments, God. I pray that you'd release healing, God, for mental anguish <laughs> and wrong thoughts. That you'd replace those with good thoughts, your thoughts. seated. Won't you just give somebody a hug before you fully sit down? Tell them you love them. Wow. Man, the Lord's just been wrecking me all morning. And uh, if I can preach this thing the way I preached it at home in my living room, you guys are in for a treat. Um, I'm just overwhelmed with gratefulness. Um, so many people uh, that make these services happen, and I don't even think they're services anymore. I think they're encounters. Um, the veil's getting thinner and thinner. <laughs> and uh, one more hand going up in the air could just puncture something and revival could, could cut loose in this place. Um, yeah, but I'm really thankful because, um, you know, I get to be up here and be more visible, my wife and I, but the reason why we're able to do that is because there's tons of volunteers that get this place open and, and air on the worship team and the prayer people come and get the atmosphere right. We got people intercessing during the week for our services. Uh, we've got Tom and Chad doing an excellent job just making sure everything is ready. And when you, as a pastor, when you, when you can just focus on the word and prayer and conveying the heart of God, that's what frees you up. And so uh, all of our camera teams and, and you got people in the sound booth. No, nobody ever thanks the sound man uh, unless something goes bad, then everybody kind of looks. Uh, but there's just so many moving parts and puzzle pieces and, and Kenzie doing our social media and just getting everything so excellent. And, uh, and I thank God that God's given me a strong woman over here. Yeah. Some guys are scared of strong women. I enjoy them. Um, that's just that much less I got to do. said, yeah, she don't have a takeover spirit. She just has enough spirit to take over. <laughs> Thank God. I couldn't do it without her, I can tell you that. And uh, I'm just overwhelmed with uh, just the gratefulness. 
um, in my heart. And most importantly, I'm grateful for King Jesus and what he's doing in the room and in hearts. And it's just, it's just incredible. So hopefully I can get this out today without just being a, a bag of tears and a bottle of emotions, but it's just what it is this morning. Um, preacher was uh, preaching a sermon on uh, abstaining from worldly vices. In the middle of his sermon, he hit a, hit a gate and really began to hit a cadence and and uh, he made the statement that uh, I want to take all the beer in the world and throw it in the river. And the congregation cheered. And if you ever cheer on a pastor, you know he's going to keep going down that trail a little bit longer. It's like we're the most insecure people in the world. So the more affirmation you give us, um, the better we become. I'm not sure. Maybe the worst, I'm not sure. but And so he said, I'm going to take all the beer and throw it in the river. And the congregation cheered. So he said, and I want to take all the whiskey. I want to throw it in the river. And everybody cheered. And he said, I'm going to take all the tobacco in the world. And we're going to throw it in the river. And everyone stood to their feet and lathered up in a frenzy. Loving that their pastor had took such a strong stand. When the pastor finished and sat down, he motioned to the song leader. The song leader said, uh, page 365, we shall gather at the river. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I said. I think we had some people gathering at the river this weekend, but (laughs) God loves you. What I've found about humanity, and 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 the scholar said it this way, that the human heart is a factory of idols. In other words, our our heart has this capability to to thirst and to hunger for things that, um, that aren't good for it. And when we begin to thirst and hunger with these innate sinful desires that are in us all, um, we can try to quench our thirst with something that's actually just going to make our thirst worse. And I feel like in the world today is like with just everything at the touch of a button and just the accessibility of so many things It's like you're that kid that's, you know the restaurants that they have the soda fountain out for the public to use? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, For me growing up, it was Taco Bell. And so when your parents weren't looking, you could go up with the big giant plastic cup and make a little concoction back there. (laughs) And if it wasn't good, you didn't worry about it. You just poured it down that little drain thing and and you started over. But we had a name for the drink that you would get when you got a little bit of everything. What was that called? And I have a feeling that some of us are drinking out of too many fountains. And we're, and we're not certain to where this thing's going to end. But I want you to know, if you're drinking out of too many fountains, there's only one way 
that this thing goes. And so I just want to encourage you to make sure you're at the right faucet. <laughs> that you're at the right fountain because there's lots and lots that we could have. I love what St. Augustine said. Is, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And what I've found is, is that the question is, is that not that what, uh, if people worship or not. The real question is, is what do we worship? Because when God created us, he created us for worship. That's why we do evangelism. Why we do evangelism is we are trying to send people out to tell them the gospel so that they might worship. It's the centerpiece. It's the reason. It's the, it's the why we exist is to worship. And so what Satan wants to do is come in and pervert the good desires that God's put on the inside of us, get us to bypass Jesus and the process that God has in front of us, and get us to feel those desires and not look to find them fulfilled into Jesus. And we can try to fill our cup with all kinds of stuff but what I've found is the more I try to fill my cup with anything other than Jesus, the more empty I become. Yeah. It's like the kingdom has like got this upside down thing going on. Where Jesus says, if you want to gain your life, yeah, you need to lose it. Uh, if you want to have, you need to give. It's like the kingdom of God is set up completely different from the world. And the world would have to sell us this, this thing that, that we can sometimes buy into. That, that is, if I'll just keep getting and 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 getting, I'm going to be full. And after all you're getting, what have you found out? You're empty. It's because there is eternity stamped onto our heart. And only until we touch that which is eternal will it satisfy the beautiful thing that we're made for. I love how A.W. Tozer puts it. He puts it in this light. He said, the reason why man is not satisfied with sin is because he was made for too great a purpose that sin could never, ever fulfill the heart of man. I know the song says you are but just but dust, but that's the dust God breathed in. He didn't breathe in any other dust. And you belittling yourself is not going to help you get there. You're going to have to see yourself for how valuable you really are, and then you'll start living like you're of the value that God purchased you. Kind of getting into my Wednesday stuff. I better chill out. I gotta <laughs> save some in the tank for Wednesday. So the question isn't, do we worship? The question is, what do we worship? We're all thirsty for something. And this has become a catchword with our young people. You're desiring something, you would say, you're thirsty. And I thought, how fitting is that? Just to get it down to the root of what it actually is. Paul said it this way, that uh, some people have made a God of their belly. In other words, a God of their desires. 
that whatever desire that they have, the, just scratch that itch and it's going to make you happy. And, and life's a bowl of cherries that just get you a bigger spoon, man. And we've got a world living by this philosophy that is more unfulfilled and less happy than they've ever been in their life. But when I look at the life of Jesus, he lives after a different reality. Jesus is extremely happy. He's extremely fulfilled. Matter of fact, there's a group of people, he does a miracle, and they hoist him up on their shoulders, and they try to make him king. But he's so content in who he is, he doesn't even allow them to crown him king based on their own assumptions. (laughs) He actually removes himself from promotion from man to get alone with God and to have fellowship with the Father. In other words, if the Father's not promoting this, I don't want any part of it. Jesus is eternally happy that he's not sad. That even when he's on the cross, he's not in a bad mood or wishing he wasn't having to do that. Matter of fact, it was you on his mind the entire time. (laughs) It's like God wanted a family, not a networking group that he could climb the ladder through and figure out how to be more famous. That he wanted to experience love and be loved. That Jesus is eternally happy and extremely happy. Why is he happy? Because he pours out his life. He pours out and is somehow constantly filled. It's like Jesus is the formula for how to be fulfilled. You want to be fulfilled? Pour out. You want to be greatest? Go wash some feet and be last. (laughs) You want to be exalted? Humble yourself. And the Lord will find you and exalt you. Jesus is living in a perpetual pouring out, but yet he's always fulfilled, happy and full. And if I think you'll be honest with yourself in the seasons of your life when you were pouring out, that's when you were the happiest. That's when you were the most fulfilled. So Jesus sets up this picture of being poured out in order to be filled. We don't get fulfilled by being filled But the reality is being poured out, we find our filling. And so Jesus even redeems our thirst and our desires. That we might have a thirst for God. That after we've thirsted for everything else, that we might have a thirst for God. Now we're going to be looking at John chapter 19. We're on the fifth statement from the cross that Jesus has said. We've 
surmised that uh, the death on the cross is excruciating and very painful, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that today, of how painful it was. That seven-inch spikes held him to the cross, and at that angle being exposed uh, in the sun, that the loss of fluids, especially from having his back ripped open by what colloquially we Locally, we would call a cat of nine tails. Oddly enough, within the strips of leather that they whipped Jesus with, they would embed sheep bones. <laughs> it's odd that sheep bones would have a part to play within ripping of Jesus' back. So Jesus is being nailed to the cross, and the way you died on the cross, it was a it was a long death. It was. A death through asphyxiation where uh, basically every time to breathe out uh, where your diaphragm could pull down, you would have to relieve the pressure and pull yourself up. So every time Jesus is pulling up, he's releasing these statements into the earth. (laughs) And he's prophesying. And every time with every pull up, we're thinking, okay, maybe something different is going to come out. But every time he pulls up, There's something about redemption and love that just keeps coming out of Jesus. That the more he squeezed, the better what comes out. So Jesus is being squeezed, being poured out, being emptied. John chapter 19, verse 28 and 29 says, After this, Jesus... Realizing by this time everything was completed. He said in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. Now Paul kind of echoes some of this about being poured out and being emptied into a place. In 2 Timothy when he's writing to the young man that he's mentored and this is the last Uh, possibly days of his life, he writes this letter to Timothy when he's about to be crucified. And in the crucifixion process, if you're a Roman citizen, or he's about to be uh, martyred rather, not crucified, because he was a Roman citizen, so he wouldn't uh, wouldn't have been crucified. But he was beheaded. And when he's beheaded... Uh, what the Romans would do to make a a mockery is they would take their heads and then they would string them up so that they would just be poured out into the street so that there would just as a statement that there's nothing left of this person and this will be what happens if you uh, go against Rome or you come against the, the powers that be. But listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7. He says, For I am already being poured out as an offering, and the time for me to depart is at hand. I have completed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So oddly enough, Paul basically makes the statement that he can say, they can't pour me out. Because I've already been poured out. See, some of us are holding back our pouring out because we're waiting for people to deserve what we have to be poured out. And if you're waiting for people to deserve what you got, let me tell you something, it ain't ever going to happen. 
But Paul has positioned himself in a life that says, I've already been poured out. So if the Romans behead me and string me up and my blood spills out into the streets, there's nothing left for Rome to pour out because Jesus already has it all and I've already given it all to the church. Amen. River dance. why David says in Psalm 63 when he's in the middle of a wilderness season when he's been anointed king but yet is running running for his life in the desert and I'm sure while he was running for, for his life in the desert there had to be a physical thirst that started developing But listen to what he says. He doesn't say, oh God, manifest a drink of water where I could have something to drink. He turns his prayer into a deeper heart cry that goes beyond fleshly provisions and goes into saying, as thirsty as I am right now in my body, my soul is more thirsty after God that he would take every trial he would go through and he would turn it into a prayer to bring him into deeper fellowship with Jesus that he would say in Psalm 63 while he was in the wilderness in the desert in Judean uh, wasteland, and he would say in, in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God, I long for you. My soul thirsts for you, and my flesh yearns for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, yes, in the sanctuary I have seen you and witnessed your power and splendor. Because experiencing your loyal love is better than life itself. My lips will praise you. Let me tell you, here's how you know where you're at. When you've got dry, cracked, parched lips, and all you want is still a drink of what God has to offer. See, David took every physical trial, everything he went through, and he turned it into a prayer aimed at a greater spiritual reality. So when he's in the desert thirsty, he goes, wow, as thirsty as I am right here, I need to be more thirsty for God. See, some of us haven't learned how to turn our trials into the right kind of prayer. See, we're praying for deliverance When God's wanting us to go to the deeper thing and say, how can I walk this out that gives you the most glory? How can I walk this out that shows you as the most satisfying, thirst-quenching entity in the universe? How can I walk through this trial and not get relief but give you glory? Maybe it's the trial that wants to squeeze you to show you what's really on the inside of you so that you can turn 
that prayer and that wrong thought about him into a praise that says, God, I just want more of you. So that the principalities and powers in the demonic realm would look and say, whoa, that's real. That's real. And this is the place that God is trying to get us is how thirsty are you for him? How thirsty are you for him? Now, when Jesus was up on here and he said, I thirst, he wasn't just saying he was thirsty, okay? He, the whole time he's quoting scriptures, uh, most of which are from King David. So there's a parallel here that's going on is that Jesus is trying to show us that he is the promised king. So he keeps saying the things that David said so that we would say, wow, this is the greater David, the one that's to come and be the Messiah and the redeemer of the world. In Psalm 69, verse 21, David writes, They put bitter poison into my food, and to quench my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, isn't this odd? That Jesus would say he thirsted to point us to the reality that what King David had saw with this prophetic foreview and align himself with David to show, I am a son of David, I am an heir of King David, and I'm the one that's come to satisfy the thirst and to save the world and to take away the sins of the world. But in the, in the book of John, we're always seeing a familiar theme. Remember when John, in chapter 4, he's with the woman at the well? And what does he tell her? If you're thirsty... I got some water that if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. Right? On the last day of the feast, on the great day in John chapter 7, it says that he stood up and said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And if he drinks, out of his belly will flow Rivers of living water. Yeah, I got to thinking about that. It was rivers, plural. Not a river of living water. Rivers. Why? Because there's endless rivers in this room. Endless tributaries that need to find its way back into the main river, Jesus and to run into him and to find yourself in that history and in that path. But here he is saying, I thirst. That Jesus would condescend to such a place that he would be thirsty. The one who created the H2O molecules is thirsty. The one who made it all so that we could live and survive is parched lips and says, I thirst. 
that Jesus experienced dehydration so that you could get a drink. That he denied himself not what was his, but what he made. He would deny himself of what he made. What was his. That he would give something away that was his. So that people who didn't own it could come and have a drink. King Jesus looks like he's being murdered, but he's actually establishing a well that will never go dry. actually digging a well. It looks like a murder scene. But Jesus is actually being enthroned as the king of the world. John chapter 12, he said, when I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. The next verse says that he said this by the way in which he was going to be glorified, and that was his death. That Jesus is being lifted up on a cross, and we see a murder, and God sees an enthronement. That's what I want to tell you, is you're going to have to learn to look through a different kind of set of eyes. Because how many of us have stopped thinking God wasn't in something based upon what we saw? And the real reality was God was doing something so much higher and so much better and so much uh, more beautiful that we just missed it. Just missed it. That the king of the Jews, the light of the Gentiles being placed on the cross... For the world to see. See, when things around us are going wrong, don't forget God's still on the throne. Amen. That even though they stretched Jesus out and took him to a place where we wouldn't think he would have to go, <laughs> all the time God's still in control doing exactly what his plan was all along. He's given us an example that when we're going through things, we better be able to pull up and let the word out every time we're going through some stuff. King David said it this way, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. Why should you meditate on it day and night? Because you don't know when you're going to need it. Don't let a good season lull you to sleep. And you wake up with a pocket knife of some scripture you learned when you were 12. I think I got one. Oh, yeah. Don't wake up with that when the armies of hell is coming against you. That's a case peanut. 
And it's sharp enough, sharp enough to fend off a few. But the hordes of hell are not afraid if that's your working knowledge of the word. Is that okay? We'll get back to nice Pastor Matt pretty soon. So. Here we see that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. So that 100% of God could dwell in your 100% man or woman. Called a hypostatic union. Tell your Baptist friends you learned something today. Jesus is the God-man, forever God, and now forever man. That he didn't cease to be God, but he willingly stripped himself of his glory and became the suffering servant that we might be saved. Verse 29 in John chapter 19 said they had a jar full of sour wine that was there. So they put a sponge soaked in sour wine on a branch of hyssop and lifted it to his mouth. Jesus is saying, I thirst. So they stuck a sponge on a stick and, and the sour wine was like a, a vinegar. It would be like the first century A.D. Gatorade. Okay? Full of electrolytes. They would give it to Roman soldiers on the battle so that they would alleviate their cramps so that they continue to fight. So Jesus takes this drink, and, and, and what a paradox it is, right? Because the less you drink, the quicker you're going to die. But the thirst or the desire on the inside of you is so great that you have this thing working on the inside of you that says, I've got to drink, but I don't want to. I want to die, but I've got to drink, but I've got to die, but I've got to drink, but I want to die, but I've got to drink, and I want to die. And so he's dealing with this paradox. And so when he says he thirsts and he takes this drink, he's actually putting himself in a position to suffer longer for you. Jesus could have not drank and died before he got finished saying what he needed to say. But instead, he drinks deep because he's got more to say from the cross. Come on. <laughs> that Jesus drinks the vinegar because he's not finished yet. That he's still redeeming your salvation. That he's got some stuff up his sleeve still. That's yet to be revealed. That he speaks these words before he gives up his spirit. And gets a drink because he just has more to say. Now, this is what makes this even more miraculous. And you've got to have all the Gospels working together here to, to, to paint this picture. But in Mark chapter 15, verse 21 through 23, the Bible says this, that the soldiers forced a passerby to carry his cross, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country. 
He was of the father of Alexander and Rufus. Verse 22, they brought to Jesus, they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. Now check this out in verse 23. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So this is before he's crucified, and as a mercy, and some people think it maybe it was the ladies whom was following Jesus as he was being crucified. Some thinks that even the Roman soldiers, some of them had a heart. Somebody had a heart to try to give him a drink that would numb the pain. Jesus, this is going to hurt. Take this. Jesus doesn't take the drink that numbs the pain, but he takes the drink that extends the life longer to make sure to finish your and my redemption on the cross. He turns down the pain pill and says, I want to fill every ounce of this for my people so that I can apply this redemption to every painful situation that they might be in. This is our king. He drinks the Gatorade, but turns down the drink that would ease the pain. He, drinks, he rejects the drink that would have eased his pain, but asks for the drink that would prolong his life. So that his agonizing death could be fully extended to its brimming efficacy. He thirsted so we could say, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. See, it looks like some wood and some nails, and it looks like a murder instrument. But God is taking it and he's making a dinner table. <laughs> that carpenter Jesus <laughs> isn't done building. <laughs> and what looks like a cross is actually a table being built in the presence of his enemies. Yeah. See, it looks like a cross. And we see it, we wince. You ever seen Passion of the Christ? We look at the cross and we wince. But then Yahweh says, no, no, look again. Look again. Look again. It's a banquet table. And there's roast lamb. And there's wine, and there's bread, and there's water. That he's actually accomplishing a Passover feast. But it looks like a murder scene. I don't care what it looks like in your life. 
God is doing something so much greater. And if you will get the eyes to see it and have the courage to stand there and not move, what you have been so afraid of will actually become the place of provision that you're eating from. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, look at the table. So every table is an altar. Isn't that something? And it's being set in the presence of our enemies. And they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Love the old song. It says, I came to Jesus as I was weary, worn, and sad. I have found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. (laughs) See, if you're thirsty, then you're the one he's seeking for. Because he can't give people drinks that aren't thirsty. He even says in one of his Beatitudes, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you're not saved, come to him. Because if you die in your sins, your eternal cry will be, I thirst. I thirst. In the lake of fire, the lost suffer amid flames forever and ever. And if Christ cried, I thirst, after six hours, what do you think people will do after 10 million years? The cross is a place of decision. It's a cross road where we've got to decide if we're going to turn left or right. You remember the parable in Luke 16 where the rich man and Lazarus Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham. The rich man suffering. He says, Jesus, would you, could you get Lazarus to dip his finger in some water? Just touch my tongue with it to give me some relief. There's no reason to thirst like that when the well is wide open. That every obstruction has been moved and that you don't even have to dip a bucket down that he'll pull it up and give you a drink. But there's a real sense here that Christ still thirsts. Christ is still thirsty. And you know what he thirsts for? He thirsts for you. He's allowed him a place in his heart to where he is thirsty for your love. He is yearning for fellowship with his blood-bought people. And he is thirsting for you to come into his presence. But as God has redeemed our thirst, he still thirsts for you. Grace enables us to offer that which refreshes Jesus. What a thought that when you come to him, you refresh him. Oh, man. 
That you're the drink that Jesus is looking for. He's the drink that you're looking for. Will you now simply say, I thirst? And let Jesus fill you up. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. He who knew no sin became sin. So we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus on the cross. You became the drug addict. On the cross, Jesus, you became the adulterer. On the cross, you became the prostitute. On the cross, you became the heroin addict with a needle in his arm. On the cross, you became sin. You became our false ego. To defeat that so that we might step into the reality of who we actually are. And that's blood-bought children that have a father that loves them so much. So Lord, amidst all the pain, amidst all the hurt, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So Lord, open our eyes to see again. Open our hearts to fill again. May we not numb the pain, but may we take the drink that says, I want to fully fill so that I can heal and allow you to talk to me again. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to ask need to give your life to the Lord, I want you to put your hand up right where you're at. Amen. 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 Anyone else, your heart says, I thirst. Your heart says, I thirst. I need a drink. Put your hand up right where you're at. Shift our desires, God, to thirst for you. Shift our focus off the things that will never fill us, that will never satisfy us. in our ear that says that's not going to satisfy you need this over here that we would speak against that lie and that desire and say no I've already found the one in whom my soul loves and I drink from one well and it's the king's well and it's 
water that leads me to never thirst again. God, teach us to be a people that pour out that we might be full. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.